Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, Hockey World. It's Wednesday, January 18th, 2017. I'm Michael Agello. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Eklund, and you're watching the Hockey Buzzcast on HockeyBuzz.com. This is the podcast that comes every Monday through Friday at this time to fill you in on the comings and goings of the hockey world and is brought to you by viewers like you at Patreon.com slash hockey. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much for doing that. This is a finger gun. This is legal. That's right, and sponsoring us. Yes, it's legal at least another for the next couple of days. Um, okay, so... <laughs> Let's go to um. We're gonna have a show on Friday, by the way. Like we have to have a show um early. Yeah. I think we should. Um, I because I, I, I don't want to miss the uh, inauguration. I think that that's. No, but, well, hey, one of us might be pardoned. You know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not gonna happen. Um, no pardoning press. But anyway, um, we'll talk about it later. We'll do a show for sure, but we'll figure out when. Maybe we'll do a nighttime show. Maybe we'll do it like later a day. I, I'm gonna, yeah, we'll see. We'll figure it all out. It's um. Right. We'll, we'll, let's start now. Yeah. And um, we have news right away, of course, because the Islanders waited till just after the show yesterday, like they always, like teams always like to do. Well, Garth was watching. Yes, to announce the firing of Jack Capuano, which is quite the end of an era. Um, you know, he was there a long time, and and uh, a lot of people thought was going to be fired a long time ago, but he has managed to withstand, and you know, a lot of changes, a lot of other coaches coming and going. I mean, for a team that's like that's won one playoff round. Um, it's astonishing, you know, how long he's been there. Um, but yet, yeah, he's gone, and uh, this, this brings all kinds of questions into into play. I, I think it's. I don't think there's any question that it was a a move that had to be made. I mean, yeah, but we all expected it to be made like a month and a half ago. Yeah, and I think that's the difference, right? Because because in the past, you know, Garcia has shown that he um, really has been incredibly patient with this situation, and I think that this is this is. A little bit encouraging, maybe for Islanders fans. And I wonder, they have the right. They have the. We, you know, before we get into Gallant and all the other stuff, the rumors out there. Right. Um, wonder if that has anything to do with it. You know, if they looked at well, well, here's some of the fascinating things that I was starting to look at weeks and months ago when we thought this would happen. Mm-hmm. So right now, Garth is Garth Snow is there, but he doesn't appear to be 100 percent in power anymore. Right. He he's definitely. The ownership is a lot more active, and so he can't – he basically can't run in his own vacuum anymore like he used to be able to with Charles Wong. That's for sure. The other situation is when you when you hire Doug Waite, Doug Waite was the assistant general manager and the assistant coach. Now he's the head coach. So there's a lot of guys wearing multiple hats, which is not a good thing in an NHL organization because now even though you may have – an assistant GM watching what goes on on the ice. I go back to any time a GM takes over behind the bench like Glenn Sater did. He didn't make the playoffs with the Rangers. It doesn't – generally it doesn't work out. And now you're denying yourself as an organization other critical eyes in other areas. So I kind of wonder what is this going to do to the Islanders draft, right? Because yeah. we don't know who the GM will be at the draft. We don't know – who the coach will be, not that the coach matters. It really doesn't for the draft. But we don't know who the GM will even be at the draft. So there's a lot of askew, askew here. Well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of less concerned about the divvying up of Waite's responsibilities than the signal that it sets that they hired Waite in the first place and he's going to be the interim coach for the rest of the year. Because all that reminds me of is what happened in Toronto a few years ago when they fired Randy Carlisle around this time of the year in, in early January. They hired Peter Horacek as the interim. He was the assistant coach. They hired him as the interim coach for the rest of the year. They didn't go out and hire a new coach because the general manager was on tenuous ground. If that's the case here and they just want to keep Garth in place because they need somebody to make trades at the trade deadline and maybe dump off some UFAs or dump off players that are not part of the future, then Garth Snow is dead man walking. And we don't know that, though. He's no, we, no, we don't. No, we, we, we don't. But I'm saying right. that. 
I think that right now, Waite being as an interim guy is a signal that that's a possibility. We know Ledecky is going out there looking for a, a team president. If a team president comes in, he's going to want to hire his own general manager. So sure. and Waite I, is Garth's guy. What? That's for sure. And so right now, this is right now. It looks like it's the last gasp for for Garth Snow, and we'll see. But they could possibly bring in a guy that they say, "Hey, Garth, you're going to report to him, and you're going to sort of have a transition here." And we're going to, and we don't know. Maybe Garth Snow will transition into another position. I or, mean, they, or it could simply be, you know, you take on this guy as your general manager, new team president, and then after a year, if you don't think it works, then you chop his head off. Because right. I, I, mean, I think that's a distinct possibility. But the thing, but the thing is here, if you do, if you do that the team president's going to be hiring his own coach. Maybe it's in concert with Garth, but it, it, you would want some sort of like connection between the GM and the coach. And right now you have that connection with Waite being assistant GM, assistant and head coach and Garth being, you know, him being Garth's guy at the end of this year. If Garth is not your guy, then they're all gone. And then you just start from yeah. scratch. Yeah. My big yeah. worry is player development. My, my worry is yeah. that, there's players down below who were not given a chance and they were just pushed back into the AHL. They were, there are players that are any NHL level that are lost. And so can an interim really bridge all that together? Because I, I did ask a question to some people yesterday, you know, I was texting around and I'm like, well, what is the general direction now? If you're Islanders player as to the organization and everybody's just like, well, they were, it was going to be a bad year anyhow they're almost setting themselves back in player development, which is a big thing for them because they're going to need to fill some key positions with some young players to have a better season next year. So I don't know where that's going. Well, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, and I think that that, that is, I talked to people as well yesterday, a lot of who said, well, you know, you, you, when Doug Wade's going to get behind the bench because Gar Snow really wants to know what he's got, you know, like it, it's similar to what we heard with Lou Lamorello before in New Jersey, when Lou would go behind the bench because he wants to know, there's no better way of seeing a team, you know, than than right than coaching them. You know, like that's that's, you know, there are some guys who are like GMs. They logically, this guy makes sense. He's a better player in my opinion. I watch him play, but when you actually coach him day to day, you see how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and Doug Waite's a really smart guy, as you know, and he he's he's going to be the kind of guy who I think I think this is a good role for him. And I think if anything else, this helps player development. I think I think I think your concerns are not. I'm not going to say they're not valid or stupid. But I would say that they are. Um, I'm just kidding. No, it's fine. You have an opinion. That was a joke. That was a joke. Whatever, really bad. Whatever, like a pregnant hurdler. Um, all right. So no, I think that no. I'm, I was just, I was just gonna, no. I think that this, in a way, the player development goes is is a good thing because you'll get to see. I, I do expect you'll see some younger players brought up that Capuano was a little bit afraid to bring up because he was afraid of losing his job. And I think that that's one of the things that happens with these teams. You know, like now that you have. Once the coach has been fired, a new coach is in. Doug Waite knows he's not going to get fired next week or next month. So he's, he's in there for the rest of the year. And he's still an assistant GM. So he doesn't, even if he doesn't oh, wait, stay he's in there for the rest of the year. We don't know oh, that. that. We don't know that either, but he's in there for now, right? So he, he so was they, called an interim. No, they, 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 I mean, they, they said the rest of the year, but, but then these rumors did come out yesterday, of course, that they are talking to, um, you know, they're, they're definitely talking to. Well, they talk. Gallant, right, and they they had some talks with Gerard Gallant. Now, um, but the clarification was, and it, it came out from uh, from Elliot Friedman and from uh, a couple other sources that they talked to him three weeks ago, not yesterday, but three. Right. Weeks, they asked for permission three weeks ago. So, if Gallant had said he had he had, you know, liked the idea of taking over the Islanders, he'd be the coach now. Right. I don't think he would have waited into, you know, I don't know what his contract, I know he had an extension with Florida. I don't think that would be a consideration if they liked him and you know, the money wouldn't be a problem. So to my, to my mind, you know, he's not going to be part of the picture. Maybe he's got something going to Vegas, maybe he's got something going someplace else. But I, I think, I think that, uh, you know, that ship is sailed and maybe he's going to be the, the interim coach for the rest of the year. You know, Okay. Okay, I'm sorry, wait a second. Maybe you muted rest for a second there. You're muted rest. Yeah, uh, so if he's, gonna, if he's gonna be interim coach for the rest, I, 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 you know, he's gonna be interim coach for the rest of the year. That's all from all the indications. I don't think Gallant is part of the picture right now. He could be over the over the summer. 
depending on who becomes team president. If it's, I mean, there's been some speculation about Dale Talon. If it's Dale Talon, then Gerard Gallant will be head of the coaching list. Yeah, if I'm the Islanders, I would jump all over that. But, you know. um, But here's the thing. If they play fast and loose, right, and Gallant's out there, and he's out there at the end of the season, other teams are going to talk to him as well. Like if so, it's kind of weird that they had permission to talk to him, yeah, and he haven't talked to him and haven't hired him, and and so to me that's the part that's really a little bit worrisome here. Almost like Ledecky is looking for something better, but it has him on the hook, and you're not going to be able to keep Gerard Gallant on a hook. Like there are going to be other teams. Yeah, that I mean, I mean I've, I've heard his name very strongly with Vegas, you know. So I think yeah, that that's I, what I'm saying. There's going to be other decisions made. Yeah, I don't think you can wait around. I, I no. mean. Talon's interesting because I just just as a side note, I spent some time trying to figure out the Florida situation over the last couple of weeks, and um, you know I'm working on a story about this. But um, the uh, yeah, the best I could think of with Talon, that was a thought bubble. That was a thought bubble. I'm sorry, I got um, I get text the second I say that. Sorry. Um, okay, so no, the best with Talon, the thing with Talon is this. I said, what is the deal with Talon? Why has this happened twice? Like why you know this very strange? He builds these great teams and and. I heard most people are saying, oh, it's just ridiculous. He's been screwed twice. And, and that's what I've always heard. However, I did talk to somebody yesterday who, who opened up my eyes a little bit to something that I thought was fascinating and is worth looking at. The fact that so Talon is a really good hockey guy, obviously. Can, he can build teams really well. Sure. Hates, hates um, confrontation. Um, and terrible at giving bad news to anybody. And um, hangs on to situations because of that in ways that makes these teams a little bit crazy um, because he won't, he will not confront something that's, and that's a weird, I mean, I never heard that before. So, and it's somebody who really knows talent well. So I was, in, it was intriguing to me. I will say this. I've been in management, right? And that is the worst part of the job is to tell somebody you're fired. Even if you right. don't like that person, you don't feel good about it. And I remember the first time I had to fire somebody, you know, it took me a little while to do it. Because I just I, – there, there is a struggle inside of you. So it's not easy really for anybody to fire anybody. And I know you could insert a joke here, but I'm not going to do it. But, well, no, but no, the point no, is – I've had to fire it, people too, so I know what you're saying. I'm in the job. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah, no. So, I mean, I've been there, you know, occupants. So it's, it, it's, it's, it sucks. But you do have to – you do have to, you know, at some point be, the, be able to make those decisions. And, you, yeah. have to be able to, and, you know, this is something that I think that – you know, and it's not even a matter of firing players as much as it's just any kind of confrontation and stuff like that. I was told so. Moving, you know, not even firing coaches, so to speak. So I don't know. I'm not. I'm not saying. I, I, you know, talent still his track record is phenomenal from team building. So I wouldn't steer away from it at all. But it was just an interesting thing. So it's always where I'm trying to figure out why this has happened twice. And you know, because once is once, and twice is a lot more. You know, and twice starts. It starts. It's not a pattern yet, but it feels like. You know, when some of the same exact situation goes on twice, maybe there's a pattern there. Well, I'll tell you the problem. You're right. I'll tell you the problem with all of this talk. All of this talk now has started the John Tavares talk. And there shouldn't be any John Tavares talk. That should have been taken care of already, and it's not. And so now that's the really most important conversation that you could have about the Islanders in the next six months over who's coaching and who's GM because you're not going to have much of an organization if you lose this guy. Right, and in July, July, July first is their first opportunity to extend him. They can, they can, they can float a big offer to him to re up, uh, you know. And he's been one, I, I think, one of the most underpaid players in the NHL because his. Uh, I, I did something for for a column recently where I tracked the the second contracts of all the number one picks from going back to Stamkos. Stamkos made seven and a half million dollars on his, uh, his second contract after his entry level. Tavares was the lowest of those. I mean, other, other than Nail Yakupov, who was a bust. Uh, he was the lowest at five and a half million. So he deserves, and he's going to get big money, probably Kane Taves money. And if they're not going to give it to him, then he's going to get it on the open market. And right now, with the with the dumpster fire that the Islanders are Islanders are right now, yeah. I would say that the odds are fifty fifty that he gets that money elsewhere. Because why would he want to attach himself to something that's a chaotic situation in Brooklyn? Well, now you got a problem. Okay, so yeah. last night I did listen to the Hockey Buzz cast with Noel and Dan, and 
that's the beginning of it was essentially all Steven Stamkos talk about how the Islanders were all in. They tried to spend their money on him. He didn't go there and then they didn't do anything else. Now, I think that's an easy way to get, to blame Garth. I think Garth wasn't going to sign Ocposo no matter who Stamkos signed with. I think he had already made up his mind that he wasn't going to be an Islander. We brought that up many, many times. And so I think it's more complicated than that. But I also think that now that we're, we're having this conversation, it's going to be hard to attract free agents there, especially because you don't know who the coach and GM are. Like these are, these yeah. are not things that are going to be solved quickly that free agent players are going to feel good about going to the Islanders. And that is going to be the biggest problem that they're going to have. My guess is the only kind of guy they're going to be able to get to, to for Tavares is a guy around 34 years old who doesn't really have a lot of options. And Russ, where, were the, where the hell was I when this serious talk about the Islanders being a leading candidate for Stamkos? I mean, you know, I'm sorry. It was Detroit. It was Toronto. It was Buffalo. Where the, where, you know, I heard like sort of cursory rumors about, but but it would, it would involve, you know, Stamkos playing the wing and Stamkos wanted to play up the middle. That was the whole point of him staying in, and win a Stanley Cup. And I'm sorry, the chances of him winning a Stanley Cup in Tampa were a hell of a lot better than the team that they beat in the playoffs last year in the, and the Islanders. So I, I don't even know where that pipe dream was coming up that Stamkos was going to go to the Islanders. But think about it. If I'm 31 years old, right, and I'm, and I'm looking to join my next team, I'm looking at the facility, which right now isn't a check. I'm looking at the coach. I don't know who the coach is. I'm looking at the GM. I don't know who the GM is. Right, like, right. you know, how how much in demand are the Islanders going to be in this offseason? No, that's very fair. You're right. I agree with you. Um, and it's not. And the funny thing about that, I mean, if, if, they, if, they, if they were even in on Stamkos to finish off that thought is that, you know, they it's not that they did nothing after that. They went out and they got Andrew Lang. I mean, they, they, they went out. I mean, not Andrew Lang. Well, they, they were basically saying that that was like their fallback and it was a bad yeah, that was, that was That was their disaster plan B. and it, it that, That's not doing nothing. That's doing something. Um, and that's yeah. doing something that was pretty bad. Like that was doing something that was a bad decision. So, I mean, it, it's one thing if you sit back and you don't, can't do anything after that and just take, okay, we're going to play some young players and have the cap space. They used up their cap space in a weird way. So that was that's the weird thing to me about that. I don't know. That That's a tough one. It's a real tough one. Um, it is a tough one. I, I you know, Capo is a great guy. I don't, you know, I, I think he could actually, actually get a job someplace else in the future. I don't think he, he might, but it's a results oriented thing. And the Islanders didn't produce results. And they're at a point, I, I think they're once again, I remember writing that they needed to draft Tavares. I wrote about it a year before he was drafted. I said, the Islanders need this or their organization is in trouble. Well, now you could almost write the article that their organization's in trouble if they don't re-sign him. Like, I think this is a critical point in Islanders' history right now. Yeah, and I and I think, I mean, all Ledecky's efforts need to be once he gets his management house in order, is to find out one hundred percent for sure is Tavares staying. Or is Tavares going? And in, unlike the situation with Stamkos, where Stamkos had a no movement clause that could prevent Iserman from moving him anywhere, Tavares does not have a no movement clause in his contract. I, do, I don't believe. And if he doesn't, then and they can't sign him, then I think they have to trade him. Now I don't, right. think, I don't think that's likely, but you know, if if you can't get him locked up on a deal, you're not going to let him walk away for nothing. You're not going to let him walk away for cap space. You would have to move him and get as much as you can for him. That's the dilemma. Yeah, that the so much leverage. Um, I mean, it, the, the crazy thing about it, I mean, he's his he could he'll he will end up signing the biggest deal probably we've ever seen. Like he's yeah. got so much leverage um, based on the situation. If he wants to stay in New York, he's going to make a ton of money by staying in New York. I mean, he there's no question about it that he's got. He's. I mean, never has a team needed a player to stay more than they need him to stay, and at this point, and it that's just yeah he's. He can write write his own ticket, basically. He's gonna he's gonna get the contract that Stamkos could have gotten. He's gonna get seven yeah. if he goes someplace else. He's gonna get seven years, seventy seven million. He'll get a he'll get eleven million per. Yeah, and you could get eight eighty eight there. You know who knows? Because I mean, he, if he stays there, you get that too. Um, so Correct. yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, so on to some other things. The um, Patrick Line skated this morning, which is big news. That's and that's that's very encouraging. Very encouraging, you know, and it's, that shows that this wasn't very serious because, I mean, it, it, he hasn't been out that long here. No. Um, I don't know what this says towards his all-star game plans. 
Well, they said there's no there's no timetable for his return. So this was basically just getting on the ice, seeing how you feel. And, you know, I mean, it could mean he's back in a week. It could mean he's not ready for a month. I mean, with concussions and obviously the after effects of concussions, you know, you you have to take it slow and steady. I think that, you know, it's encouraging that he's on the ice. And if he doesn't have any kind of after effects in the next couple of days, then they'll step up his workouts a little more and he'll get closer toward getting back in the lineup. But you're testing it. Yeah, you're testing it. But right now, Winnipeg is in such a such a mess when, when it comes to, you know, the goaltending situation. We talked about yesterday, Pavlik being called up, you know, rumors about Paul Maurice, his job being in trouble, which maybe are unfounded. But I'm still not buying that. But But, I mean, right now, they're, you know, they're starting to fall out of the race. Uh, they would have to turn it around dramatically to to get back in the race, and line A would be a big part of that. So I'm sure they want to get him back as soon as possible, but not at the cost of risking his overall health and his career. Right. So they're going to take it slow. No, they should take it slow. You know, but he, he's he's. I, and I'm, I'm happy to see him back in, in, in the situation that he's in right now. At least um, that that to me is the, is is the important thing. Is like we definitely. Are a better league with Patrick Liney in it, so I want to I want to see him keep going. I mean, he's he's got a really now interesting stat, a bad stat here for the Colorado Avalanche. I saw um, they are on pace for the most regulation losses since the expansion at Atlanta Thrashers of nineteen ninety nine two thousand. How about that? That this is absurd. I mean, this this is really this is an absurd stat for this team. I mean, you think of who was on that Thrashers team, and think of who's on this Avalanche team. And, you know, that's just crazy. I mean, that Thrashers team, the expansion Atlanta Thrashers had almost nothing going for them. Um, and this Colorado team has Duchesne, Landeskog, McKinnon. Right, and you know, no defense. No, no defense. They have more defense than that Atlanta team had. And, I mean, I mean Johnson, they've got, you know. Johnson's out. Johnson, Yeah, he's out. But they've got Barry. They have – and they have a – a really and, and, solid goaltender. I mean, they've got all these, they've got everything you could think that they would need, and yet here they are. I mean, the, their number one defenseman is Tyson Berry, and they've got rejects from uh, the you know from the Ottawa Senators and the and the New Jersey Devils and Eric Jelena and Patrick Wirakosh, a, a, a Fedor Tutin who was bought out of his contract by the Columbus Blue Jackets, yeah. Nikita Zadorov who was dramatically underachieved as a first round pick. Uh, traded from the Buffalo Sabers. Their defense is not good. That which is the reason why in every rumor that you see Landeskog or Duchesne going to a des- destination, whoever that team's number one young defenseman is the guy rumored to go back. So I, I mean, mean and the goal, you know, and the coaching changes and the Connor Blakely situation. Like things have been going on there for a couple of years and that haven't been great. And and a lot of things haven't worked right. You know, Nathan McKinnon was one of the things that worked right. Most of their first-round draft picks have worked right, most of them. You know, we talked about Hishin and what happened with him, but most of them have. The Connor Blakely one really hurt them. And now they're, they're at a situation where they have a coach who's never coached in the NHL, right? Bednar has now got to sort of get things rolling the right way. We don't know if he's going to be a good NHL coach, but they're going to, he's going to, they're going to ride out the season with him and go into the next season with him for sure. And so – Colorado is probably two years from being good again at the minimum. And Wait, Patrick Wah, like a really good coach or something. I mean, are we like, are we missing the boat here on Patrick Wah? I mean, he did he, he was a really good coach in the sense that he had a definite system. You knew where he stood. You knew if you didn't do what he wanted to do, you weren't going to play. And I think that's important for players when they show up at the rank. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and the thing is that, and I don't know if you want to give Patrick Wah credit for this, but, Potentially, one of the reasons he bailed on Colorado is he recognized this was a train wreck and that he didn't want to ruin his reputation by this team going down in flames while he was coach. Now, you know, he he left and maybe he gets, you know, if Quebec City ever gets a team, he's the guy who's the GM and coach there or he gets another coaching job with some other NHL team and he doesn't take the blame for what's going on with with the, with the Avalanche right now. Uh, on cue, at, just, just as we started talking about the Avalanche, uh, Mike Chambers from the Denver Post reports that Varlamov has been shut down through the All-Star break with an injury. So that means Calvin Pickard is their number one with that defense. I mean, they're already out of it. They're already battling for Nolan Patrick position right now. But this just makes them even more of a guaranteed seller before March the 1st. Well, now that you brought up Nolan Patrick, I'll let people know that Central Scouting put out their rankings today. And 
Timothy Liljegren is seventh yeah. on the on the European skaters list, which is crazy because I, I think he's way higher. I know he's not having a great season. I know he had an injury. The guy could still play and he could still skate. The problem is a lot of people haven't seen enough of him because he was great in the under-18s. He didn't play in the World Juniors because he didn't make the team. He's been hurt a lot this year, and I think out of sight, out of mind. But seventh to me is, is kind of crazy. And Kaylor Yamamoto, who is five foot seven and a half and dominating in the WHL, is ranked 17th in North American skaters. So that means he could, you know, in, in their eyes, he could go somewhere around 25th. Right. Wow. Or, or in the early second round. Now, is is this a is this an Oliver Shillington situation all over again, Russ? I mean, we're it, it yeah. could be, and he had mono. It's another one of these situations where, again, you kind of wonder when players get mono, why is it that they drop in the rankings? Because if we decided to go and track all the you know top players that we felt had mono and dropped in the in the rankings, they all recovered nicely and all have become really good NHL players. Like, I just don't get this mono effect. Like, it's not like the 1950s, but you have to no, admit, I mean, we talk really about weird. it every draft. It's, it's just a bad, just a bad flu, really. I mean, it's like, you know, you get well, that. I mean, I've had, the, I had mono. I don't know about you guys. I had mono when I was in high school. Yeah, I, I, I had it, but the, but, I the, have not. but the thing, the thing is, is that the effects of it, even after you're done with the mono, it lingers. I mean, it weakens you. I mean, you, you don't recover for two or three months. And for a hockey player, that means, you know, that's a, half the season. So, I mean, if he got that at the absolute wrong time, he may, he misses team Sweden for the world junior. And, you know, even if he finishes out the year well, and you know, maybe if he plays well in the world championships for Sweden, that'll raise his stock back up to the top five. But right now the rate, the ratings are consistent with it, with him falling from the number two pick overall to a top 10 pick. Yeah, Nico Hishier is number two. Uh, but, again, the Yamamoto thing bothers me. I'll, if I pull up his numbers, they're ridiculous. But And that's where I just, you know, every time that I think we've turned a corner and, and size doesn't matter for, for drafts, I get reminded that it does because the guys who do the rankings, it matters with them. And so that's it starts there. I mean, I just interviewed Adam Graves the other day, right? And for people that don't think players know where they're ranked – Adam Graves, who was drafted in 1986 by the Detroit Red Wings. I wrote an article. People can go to Sportsology and read it. But he was drafted in 86 by the Red Wings, right? He knew where he was ranked going into the draft. He remembered all these years later. So these guys know, and they remember. Kelly Yamamoto right now only has 59 points in 39 games. He only has 28 goals. That's it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's just, you know, he's just not good enough, I guess. So yeah, that's for sure. So he's ranked 17th, and so that's a crazy one. There's a fun one, though. Um, Casey Middlestat, who is a really good American player, is ranked fifth, where Ely Tovenin, who plays in the USHL, a Finnish kid who is just in the um, World Juniors, is ranked seventh. I deem these guys so close that even in my own rankings, I'm not sure what I would do if I ranked them today. I really need to – these guys, to me, it's like – if I did a ranking, like if I decided to break it down, it would be almost like a dead heat. And so that'll be interesting to see what happens towards the end of the year now because it's early. Like I don't even come out with a rankings because of my own rankings because it's just too early, right? But yeah, right now it's that close for those two guys. And you, I'm sure you have that happen a lot, right? We have a lot of close guys like that. And oh, it yeah, comes, but this one's down, ridiculous. down to what team is drafting where, because yeah. you know, at some point you got to look at that part of it, right? If the player's not obviously better than another player, right? Then you're, you know, which usually is the case. It seems like because there's there's definitely a couple of players that are always obviously better than everybody else, but then there's a lot of players that aren't, you know, that are that are, yeah. that are very that are very similar. They're all great, but very similar. Um, yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting one. Um, well, it, it's, it is really early to look at these things. So. Yeah, top prospects games in a couple of weeks. I may or may not be there. It depends on uh, a few things. But a lot of these guys are playing in that, except for the USHL guys and such. But so, you know, you Patrick will play in it. And there will be a lot of these guys there. And that will also count. There will be, like, tons of scouts. Tons. Yeah. Yeah, those games seem to carry a lot more weight than you than you think. Yeah. Um, a couple of rumors that were going on. Um Last night there seemed to be a, a an injury defensive night for everybody. I mean, it was it was kind of rough. You had a lot of guys going down. Um, in Minnesota, you had um, 
Jonas Brodeen. Brodeen, right? You had obviously you you know you had Toronto losing um, Morgan Riley and, and, and the Rangers Rangers having McDonough go down, but he seems like he's okay. He right? came back, yeah. yeah. And, and Riley Riley's prognosis. Um, he's definitely going to be out the next game against the Rangers, but they said day to day, but I have a feeling it's probably more like a week to 10 days. They have four, three or four games, uh, a compacted schedule. So, um, Riley's a pretty funny kid because we saw him fall awkwardly into the boards. And so his quote to the media was what you saw is pretty much what it felt like. (laughs) (laughs) Which is pretty good. Yeah, it was awkward. And he's, you know, he, he depends a lot on his on his agility, his speed, his mobility, okay. and so if it's limited, it's, he's not going to be as effective. So, you know, I mean, I mean, right now the Leafs are ridiculously red hot. They won nine of their last eleven. Uh, they beat Buffalo, which is always a Herculean task for the Leafs to do. And you know, uh, you had the the Matthews Eichel matchup for the first time. And, you know, Eichel played okay, and Matthews had a goal and uh, I think sort of won the, that that first one-on-one battle, and they played head-to-head against each other. But I think the interesting thing in that game was Robin Leonard dissing his, dissing his coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, Leonard gave up three goals in the first half of the second period and, you know, gave the stink eye to Dan Bilesma as he pulled him. And, you know, Leonard, I mean, Leonard really doesn't have that big of a leg to stand on right now because he, even though his stats have been pretty decent, he hasn't taken the number one job. He always runs into injury or something else happens, and Anders Nilsson has had to step up and be a pseudo, like, 1B type of goaltender. And if you look at the comparative between the two, the two teams and their rebuilds, the goalie, Freddie Anderson, doing as well as he's doing, and Leonard not grabbing the ball and running with it is a is a distinct factor in why Toronto has moved ahead of Buffalo in the rebuild. Yeah, no, I think that's perfectly fair. And there's a lot going on with that Leonard thing. And, you know, hearing Bosma talk about it too. Bosma handled it very well as he always does. But and he just said, you know, I like that he's a passionate, emotional guy, and that's what you expect from him. Um, but you know, it is one of these funny things. Having re- recently rewatched Friday Night Lights with my daughter, who you know that like, which is a great you know great show, obviously. If you ever watched it, you know. The, I haven't uh, watched it, but I know what it's about. Oh, yeah, I never watched it? Oh, man, it's awesome, especially the first season. So. I lived it. I lived in Houston. Like, I was shocked. When I went down to Houston, and then being a guy from New York, even though our high school football team was great, there was a player, Ron Heller, who played for the Eagles and the Dolphins. I know him and his family. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, it was a really good school, right? It doesn't yeah. get a hun- one one millionth the coverage that no. high school football gets in Texas. It's crazy. The high school no, championship fills the Dallas Cowboy Stadium. Yeah, yeah no, the, I, I mean the, the the great thing about this is it it really, I mean it's a great series in general. Just I just can't recommend it highly enough. It's on Netflix too. Um, but it's something the whole thing is, but the good the most fun part about it is the dynamic between coach and player, which is immediately what I thought about last night with Leonard. You know, like then the coach and on the on you know with the pressures a coach has to win, and then the pressures a player has to win, and then. You know, when a coach has to, when a coach goes against something that might not be as good for the team, but he has to do it because of the situation, because of the way the player's acting, and he has to make a statement. That kind of stuff is what you see all the time. And you know, it it was really fascinating to me watching when I saw the letter thing last night. I was thinking about one of the episodes early on in Friday Night Lights where they bring in like a ringer quarterback from Louisiana who just wants just refuses to run the plays, but he's like so much better than the quarterback that they have that the coach has to get rid of him because he's 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 basically just completely dis- in disregard of the plays, even though his plays are working mm-hmm. he's calling on the field and you just get this whole thing of like, this is, it's just a great, interesting dynamic. And I thought that immediately last night with Bilesman and Leonard as well. Um, yeah. That's Here's a, my I mean, argument against Bilesma or, or I should say for Bilesma against the Bilesma haters. If you go out to get a coach, who are you getting? That's better than Dan Bilesma that has a better resume. Well, this is the thing about Dan Bilesma that people will tell you playing counterpoint on that one. Okay. Yeah. He has um, obviously has, you know, won a Stanley Cup and, and, you know, did it with a great team in Pittsburgh. But, you know, that people hold that against him to a degree because he'll say, mm-hmm. you know, they'll say, oh, you know, anybody could have won with that team. You know, anybody except for, you know, Michelle Therrien. Um, But anybody else could have won with that team. And then, you know, and then, and then when things got rough and the going got tough. And then also the fact that we watched him on these. In the HBO series, you know, and that then mm-hmm. where Bosma is obviously the kind of coach is very opposite of you know, you know Bruce Boudreau. He's completely, you know, pro- pro- usually just 
positive energy around the team, right? And 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 doesn't really get in the guys' faces too much, and and lets the players play and lets them do their thing. And is there? There's a lot of people that just don't think he's a very good coach. And I'm not saying that that's fair to say, but this this feeling does pers- does persist throughout the NHL, um, who just think that he's he's had a situation in Pittsburgh that was strong, and and now he's in this situation in Buffalo, and how. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think he's done a pretty good job with Buffalo. And I think that that's, this is not a good, obviously not a good team. And he's done a good job with them last year, even. Right. Well, well, there, there, there is, there is some, there is some uh, criticism to the contrary of of Bilesma in Buffalo. Um, the, the Buffalo news writer, Mike Harrington wrote a column today about the, about comparing the Leafs rebuild and the Sabres rebuild and essentially said, you know, Mike Babcock is a Stanley cup winner. Who's going to be in the, in the, in the hockey hall of fame. And Dan Bilesma is a Stanley cup winner who has confounded his fan base and his team with his, you know, with his coaching methods. So right now, you know, it's great that he has a Stanley cup on his resume, but his message is not working in Buffalo with certain players. I know that, you know, a guy like Gergensen's who was a good yeah. player under Ted Nolan has not grown under Bilesma. So but I that mean, happens with every coach, right? Yeah. I mean, it does. Let's, sure. let's look at this. If you didn't know Dan Bilesma and I just said, here's his coaching record. He coached the first team where he won a Stanley cup and he had a six sixty. Uh, what do you have a six sixty eight, So almost a 67% winning percentage, 401, 252 and 117. Then he went to a, you know, a last place team and his winning percentage is 492, 126, 52 and 54. His playoff record is 78, 43 and 35. Like you can't just say it's all Sidney Crosby at at this point, because even when we talked about Buffalo being bad with all the injuries, they were better than we expected. And that's on Dan Bilesman. That's because he's a good coach. I don't think they can get anybody better. Maybe not, maybe not. But the thing, the, you have to hang the failings of the Sabers right now less on Bilesma and more on Tim Murray because right. Tim Murray has. If you if you look at that, the Sabers defense right now, and I, t- I said this before, they have four defensemen right now who total have one goal and I think fourteen assists in Georges, Franzen, Kulikov, and Zach Bogosian. Nikita Zaitsev, the KHL or the Leafs signed. For nine hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars, he has more points than all four of them, and they're paying him sixteen million dollars less. So, you know, in talking about allocating of cap space, bad trades, bad free agent signings. Although I think Opozo was a was a pretty good signing, but you know, they they Cody Franzen at three point three million, and he hasn't really done anything. A lot of things that Murray has put into place really haven't worked out, and they've only been saved by. I think a good rookie in a good rookie season for Eichel and Sam Reinhardt, and I, th- I think they're two quality players. They're just not as good as as Marner and Matthews right now, but they're good. They're building blocks. All right, so here's my debate, and I will debate Eck on this because he's a Sharks guy. So right now, Dan Bilesma, after eight seasons, is ahead of Peter DeBoer in nine seasons for wins and winning percentage and all those things. That's pretty good. Now, Randy Carlisle, who's coached for 11 years, is ahead of Dan Bilesma, but he's not that far ahead. Todd McClellan's ahead. Yeah. Well, Terrian's that, ahead. You know, and I'm not going to use the Sharks the Sharks with Pete DeBoer. I'm going to use the fact that, you know, that was um, with the Devils with Pete DeBoer. Because to me, yeah. you know, the fact that he got those wins with the Devils is – the fact that he is but, even close to Bilesma. But, but does Pete DeBoer have more to work with with the Devils – than yeah. Dan Bilesma does with the Sabers, I think he did. And other, and other, and other than right. the, how many years was he with the Devils? Four, uh, four, four. Bilesma's. This is his second year with the Sabers. Yeah, this is Bilesma's second year. He had one, two, three, four, four years with the Devils. This yeah. is only one and a half years for Bilesma. See, I think that, I mean Bilesma was with the Penguins the rest of the time, and and you know that that's no, no. But I'm not saying that we're, we're for, if you're going to match up, that matters a lot. You know that 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 that. I mean, the okay, Sharks. So what about Florida, where three years the board didn't make the playoffs at all? Right. I mean, well, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, that's what I'm saying. It's very close, but people are going to say the gut run, the gut reaction is going to be, well, Peter DeBoer is better. But I'm pointing out that when you match the two up, they're very similar. There's not that much difference between the two. Right. Well, it's hard to say that because the, rec- the records are so 
with such different kinds of teams. You know, yeah, DeBoer, DeBoer got the two Stanley Cup finals. Carlisle has won a, with Stanley a team that no one expected to get to those Stanley Cup. Finals. I mean, like he's both those situations. I mean, no one thought San Jose was really going to the Stanley Cup finals except for me, of course. But no one else thought that. And um, but he still had Martin Brodeur when he made it with the Devils. No, he did, but Brad, that was it. I mean, that was and that was. I mean, Brodeur was at the end of his. Well, they had Chuck too. At the end of an, at the end 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 of his career, and bad career. dip. They had bad dip. They had terrible dip, and, and a <laughs> and, and a not finished arena. But you know, <laughs> besides that, you know, no, I just I I don't know. I, I think that that's really unfair. Balsma is has had a much has had much better, much more talent to work with than Pete DeBoer has had to work with. There's no. I think he has had more talent, but I think the point is. Which is a you automatically say, well, you've had more talent. It's easier as a coach. Sometimes it's hard to juggle that talent, too. Right. Now I go back to Babcock, who says, you Otherwise, know. Otherwise, they should have won the Stanley Cup every year, every coach for the Penguins. Yeah, but I go back to Babcock, who at the World Cup of Hockey said, you know, um, you might think I'm a great coach now, but I, I was the worst coach in the NHL last year. <laughs> so it's it's like, I think that, you know, it it, it does. I mean, coaching is has so much more to do with the players than anything to do with the players you have than anything else. I mean, these guys are all capable unless they're going to totally screw it up you know they're capable of helping i mean capable of taking teams far i mean and I, i'm not saying that the penguins didn't present challenges because they did um you know we all know that they were a challenging team to coach and there was crosby coming up and you had the malcolm dynamic and all those things and mark andre Fleury having you know crazy you know lapses in in judgment during playoff games but all that stuff but I, I just think, think if they lose Bilesma, they get worse before they get better. Well, I don't disagree there, and I think that I think the Bilesma is worth is worth keeping for sure. I don't I don't think there's I don't think there's a whole lot of talent out there right now yet to, that's ready for the NHL. You know, with the exception of you know obviously Gallant who you have out there, but yeah. you know, I think I think he will find another place. Um. So uh, anyway, um, l- moving on to to another thought here because I wanted to get into Boston rumors last night and. Um, Again, these Landeskog rumors, and now Carlo's name coming up again, and this is something that we told, we, you know, was told flat out that they will not move off the Carlo thing. And um, I'm not saying they are now, but it sounds as if there's some negotiation at least going on here um, between these two teams. And Boston realizing that Colorado is, is trying to shop Duchesne, and they're not going to trade both Duchesne and Landeskog. I think it's helping this go along. Uh, they're not going to move both of them. So... I think right now they're they're looking okay maybe a little bit a little bit more into this and seeing how this plays out, um, but I, I don't know. I, I don't doubt it. I just my my thinking is Brandon Carlo. I always looked at as best case scenario a first pairing, but most likely a second pairing defenseman in the NHL someday. And so he's on the first pairing because Chara happens to be there and he's playing well with him. But he's not a first pairing guy yet. We all would agree with that. But he has a lot of value. He is a good a good player. He skates well. He's always been in a shutdown role. He has offense in his game. So, he, yeah. you know, there's, that's where this value comes from. Now, if you make this trade, hey, for Boston's sake, they're getting a heck of a player. But then you have to look at Boston and say, who are you replacing them with? Are you putting Robbie O'Gara in there? Are you putting Matt Grizzlick? Like, I don't know who you're, who you're putting in that spot now because everybody's going to have to move up rather than move down on your defensive pairings, and that's been a problem all year too. Yeah. Well, and the, and the the other concern here is you're trading a a nineteen or twenty year old defenseman in Carlo making on his entry level deal in the first year of his entry level deal, and if you're trading him for Landeskog, I'm assuming there are other pieces going back to Colorado right. in this deal, but you're taking on a five point five million dollar winger in Landeskog, who's a very good player, but you're talking about. You have Krejci under a long-term deal. You have Marchand and Bergeron. You got a lot of money being spent up front. You've got a, a, a Matt Bolesky making a little under four million dollars, and you have to pay Pasternak. And I don't see them trading Pasternak because I think he's arguably their you know either best or second best player right now. So you're going to have to find a way to jettison some salary in this deal. I mean, maybe Bolesky goes in the deal. I don't know, but I mean, if you're taking five and a half million dollars back. That's a four and a half million dollar difference between Landeskog and Carlo. You you need, or you know, even more than that, you need to include more or get rid of somebody on this roster right now to make that deal work money wise. Yeah, you definitely do. I don't know if Bleski would be the right guy, but I think that you, there aren't that many options, like you said. But Jimmy yeah. Hayes might be an option. Yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. That could be. I could see that, um, and of course, also the you know the 
any injuries at all, you know, will stir up the Shattenkirk stuff, which they talked about before. And um, I'm going to still say he's going nowhere. I still believe you. I'm, I'm still with you on that one. But, you know, it sounds more and more like that's a possibility that we're both wrong. Um, I don't, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, that, that the logically and based on, you know, everything I've seen throughout my career, I would say he's going nowhere as well. But, um, well, it, there's a more really pressing question here, though. There is. And Mike will agree that yeah. this is a more pressing question. Did you foresee at the beginning of the year Carter Hutton becoming the number one goalie in St. Louis? That's the question. <laughs> it's honestly, you're under oath. I'll bring up a very interesting stat that will help you with this. Here we go. Last year, if you remember right, if I remember right, this is the case, the Blues had the best team save percentage in the NHL. So they were – this year – they are tied for last in save percentage in the NHL. Just throw that out there. That's pretty crazy because that I mean, that's, that's a 30-team jump from, you know. You know I've from, never been sold on Jake Allen. I don't know, though, if they can go with Carter Hutton as their number one because he's playing well right now. This well, is the problem that they have, though. What, what's, what's, what's shocking here, Russ, is that they, you know, they haven't, like, they haven't gone to a Bennington. They haven't, you know, they haven't gone to anybody else in their organization in terms of goaltenders. Uh, you know, um, I guess there it's was because a of Hitchcock. He doesn't want to destabilize the position because he's dealt with that before. Now, I mean, the, the, what is out there right now is that the reason that there might be an uptick in Shattenkirk trade rumors is that there's a realization that St. Louis isn't a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I can't see uh, Hitchcock, you know, making that kind of uh, you know, that kind of admission. I mean, he, they've had injuries. They've, you know, they, they've struggled there, but they're still in third place in the, in, in the central division. They're probably, you know, more than likely going to make the playoffs. And if you get in the playoffs, you have a chance, but you know, right now, I don't think they have the goaltending. I, I've never thought that they've had the goaltending, even with Brian Elliott and Jake Allen has never really stepped up as well. So if the realization is there that they're not, they don't have an integral part of a, a for, for a playoff run, then you have to explore the option. I just don't think because the, the the talk is about you know Edmonton or Montreal or Toronto, maybe Edmonton because you know I think they need a defenseman and they 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 basically kill someone to get into the playoffs, but Toronto uh, Toronto I, even with a, a Riley injury I don't see Lou Lamorello giving up future assets for a guy that he can't lock up long term and I I can't see Shrett and Chattenkirk going someplace. Anything is anything more than a rental. So You'll I mean, never get an admission out of Hitchcock either. This team is still good enough right. to make it very far in the playoffs, yeah. and they're just going to have to sort out the situation. I think it's just think it's ironic that all of a sudden Carter Hutton's gotten three consecutive starts. This does feel like the perfect place for Ben Bishop to go, right? I mean, this is like this is like this is in so many ways. I mean, Ben Bishop is a is a very much a Hitchcock type goalie. That's the goalie yeah. that Hitchcock loves: big, solid, giant goalies. Like that's what he wants. Ben Bishop yeah. is, of course, a St. Louis legend. Like, that's where he mm-hmm. grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he really has been, they, you know, the, the people were very upset when the Blues didn't get him right away. Like, you know, right away. I mean, so and then, as a mental player, you know, the, the, and this is a place Toronto moves him out of the conference if they wanted to do it. So, I mean, this. And, 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 that's, and that's where, and that's where I mean, because Tampa Bay is clearly looking for a top four defenseman. So a rental for rental deal. I mean, we've seen that. That's well, possible. That's possible. I mean, you know, I mean, is that a trade that makes both teams better? Ah, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, although, I think so. although, 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 you know, and, and and I'm not trying to overdo this, but they're I mean, definitely makes Tampa better. Vas- Vasilevsky yeah. has not played as well as I think people in Tampa thought he was going to. He really hasn't stepped up. Especially, I mean, they don't have great defense either. Yeah. Yeah, they could get Carter Hutton in the deal. So you know, if they get Carter Hutton in the deal, it's all over. I mean, that's that's the thing. So. That could tip the odds. Hey, yeah, we, we, we should get Hutton and Shattenkirk and Bishop goes the other way. I think we need to talk about the New York-Dallas game yesterday because the um, yeah. this this was like a, a shootout at the OK Corral, but it wasn't OK. The <laughs> <laughs> thing about this game is that the Rangers scored 26 seconds into it, right? Yeah. And, you know, and how many times I've it's not the first time in, in you know my life I can remember that happening, that, that the team gets like that first goal and then just gets killed. And they just get steamrolled. The The problem in this game, the way I saw it was, was Lundqvist great? No. Of course he wasn't. And he wasn't good. But the problem was the Rangers were not up to the task as far as trying to skate 
with the Dallas Stars. I think Elaine Vigneault has brought this team as far as he can bring them, trying to skate max effort every minute of every game. I think they need to abandon this as a strategy. I think it's killing them. I think the guys are tired, and I think they looked like it yesterday, especially on defense. I saw guys, three side, three guys on one side, never four. That's a Flyers thing. But we <laughs> see Flyers. Um, and, and they were just so many odd man rushes. Now, look, a lot of them squirted through Lundquist's legs. There's no question. And, you know, Larry Brooks wrote an article, and he's fanning the flames, and there's nothing better than a goaltending controversy in New York, except there's no controversy there's because controversy. Rontis Hurt and be Magnus Helberg should never see NHL t- ice time. <laughs> never. <laughs> Which he did yesterday. Yeah. No, that's crazy. I mean, it's just insane to think that there's a goaltending controversy in New York. I mean, I mean what this was was – and Dallas, this is not the first team in the East to be surprised that the Dallas Stars are a freaking good team. Because what right. happens is the Stars can well, play in their minds. They have the they they are very inconsistent, but they the can Stars play. power play is impressive. It yeah. is. I mean, look, I mean, look at who look who's on the power play. I mean, it's not that easy to forget. And, and but, but yet the Stars are really kind of like, I think they just they, yeah, they really don't they feel are. like they're in the West either. Like you don't really think of them um, at times. And yet when they when they're going. They can skate as fast as anybody. They can fly and and they can score goals in bunches. And this is a this is a, this I this is not the first. They came into Philly and spanked Philly a couple years ago the same way. They yeah, just they, let, they, let, they can do this. Let's just say that Dallas is not a great team. They are a great offense defensively. They're struggling and their goaltending sure. is pathetic. And then you know, goaltending sometimes get it together. They have like they have moments where their defense is like, hey, that's a pretty. Well, good defense. I mean, their defense looks good. Niemi gave up. I think Niemi gave up all six yesterday. They had to bring in Latin. And so, I mean, only by the grace of God did they win that game because it was, you know, if, if you're going to use the gunfight at the OK Corral analogy, then Tyler Sagan was Doc Holliday. You know, I'm just thinking with that. Yeah. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. So, living in New York most of my life, there are New York things that are at play here. And it seems like anytime you're a star player in New York, the minute you hit 30 years old, there's an email that goes out to all the sports editors to be on the lookout because the minute you slip a little, we're going to write that you're, you know, is your career over in New York? They've done it for Eli Manning. He won another Super Bowl. They've done it for Derek Jeter at different times in his career. I mean, Mike knows he lives in New York, even though he doesn't really live in New York. It's more like, you know, New York ish. Yes, he lives in Northern California, in the Northern California part of New York. But, but, but Mike follows New York sports, and so Mike, this is a very New York thing to do: is to sort of put your guy out to pasture before it's time. Yeah, oh, I mean, even it doesn't even have to be over thirty years old. A guy like Matt Harvey, I think, has already been put out to pasture because he had Tommy John surgery. Yeah, as soon as, soon as Jeter and A Rod turned thirty, is you know, it, it's like, oh, you, you can't give him twenty million dollars because he is right. over thirty years old. Right. Yeah. And and the core four, they were you were wasting money on the core four with the Yankees right. because they were all old. Right. So no, it's I mean I, I get that, but really it's it's much ado about nothing. You know, baseball. Was that? Oh no, baseball is much ado about nothing. Or sorry, no, no. <laughs> this this goaltending controversy because I mean Lund, Lundquist, you know he remember the year that he signed that that big extension. He played terribly the first two months of the year. Yeah. They went ahead and signed that extension, and he's played pretty damn good since. So this is a, a part time thing. He'll come back. He'll you know he's play, he'll probably start against the Leafs tomorrow night. You yeah. have to ride it out, but it's bad when the fan base is asking for Magnus Helberg in goal. That's to me, that just I couldn't even respond to those kinds of posts because it just showed so little regard for Lundquist and the actual the game of hockey. If you think this guy who can't even start in the AHL, he's basically right. a seat filler, is gonna start now for your team because Lundquist has had, you know, a bad run here. There's an old saying that, you know, the um you know that uh, that sayings like the grass is always greener on the other side are, are just compliment. Like sayings like that apply way more in New York than they do anywhere else. Like I've heard this said before. You know, like so New York is an example of the grass is always green on the other side. That is absolutely the case, right? That's that's what's going on with them, and they think that the backup goalies or the backup quarterbacks or whatever are always going to be the way to go. And it's just, uh, it's just, it's just, it's part of that fan base, like you said. It's it's part of that passion. And you know, but this was a situation where Dallas really needed to win. Much, much more desperate. Then you're going to start seeing that now. They're going to start seeing teams that are desperate go up against teams that aren't really desperate. Like the Rangers know they're 
pretty safe. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and the stars, they're not, you know, they're, they're out of the playoffs right now. And, and they have, that's not, that's not going the right direction at all. So, I mean, this is a team that was really, really good. So um, I think this is just a case where, you know, the stars just caught them by surprise and, and, I think and so. that they could do what they did. Um, but it well, is well, interesting. They're, they're these... playing the Leafs again and the Leafs really did dismantle them the last time. And so this is like a big test for Lundqvist because this is a tough yeah. matchup for him. This is a very tough matchup. The Leafs, what they did to the Rangers last time was they showed that they're younger and faster, even though the Rangers are looked at as a very fast team. And they also were able to grind it out. And the Rangers didn't do a very good job of grinding it out. But when the, when the Leafs had a 2 nothing lead, they were able to maintain that lead for a while. Right. Right. Yeah, and well, and this Leafs team has done that a couple times. They did it. They they did it even. I mean, even going back to last year when they were struggling, they have moments when they can look incredible because they have all the, they have so much speed and they have so much youth. Yep. And um, they can be very very tough, which is why I mean they're there's you know the, one of the hottest teams in hockey right now, right up there with Washington or you know, Minnesota. They're, I mean, they're, these teams are just they're they're crazy hot right now. And Leafs right now are you know looking like a playoff team now, whether or not they're going to make the playoffs or not. But they are looking every bit of playoff team. So. You know that's the. This is a tough. This is a tough battle. You know you don't want to. You don't want to play them right now. I don't care who you are. You know you just don't want to play them. And the and the Rangers. You know especially have. But if anything, if the rain it benefits the Rangers that that last thing happened. That they that they were spanked like that by the Leafs. That that benefits the Rangers going into this game because they I would will, think so. They will go into this game. You know not thinking. No, this is the team that finished last overall last year. They're going to remember that fact. This is the team that you know. And Zabanajad's back, and that's a big body and a good face-off guy. He had a couple goals last night, so that helps him too. Yeah, but what is the deal with these big, high-scoring, you know, vintage mid-'80s games? I mean, this is like – it's kind of interesting that we're seeing these right now. I don't know if there's anything to it, but it's a fascinating thing. They're not classics, though. Mike and I were talking about this yesterday. I None of these games that I've watched that are high-scoring, I would call a classic where I can't blame the goalie. It's just a great offensive play. You look at it, and there's bad reasons why these goals are happening. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and, and I think that was the case in the in the in the Rangers game too. It wasn't, you know, great rushes, great goals. You know, there were a couple, and, but that's it. Yeah, but 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 it was mostly like defensive giveaways and uh, and you know power play goals. And it's yeah. I mean, would I rather watch an eight seven game than a one nothing game? Sure, if it's a well played eight seven game. And you know the the the, the Washington Pittsburgh game that happened. Uh, on on Monday, you know, it, it was playoff effort. It wasn't playoff caliber hockey. Uh, you know, there was effort, it was speed, but it really wasn't. It wasn't really great hockey. It was yeah. just a lot of. It was playoff caliber though, and that was sitting next to me when the Flyers and Penguins were like seven six. But that, right. while it was exciting, they weren't playing any defense at all either. Oh yeah, none, none whatsoever. That's serious. Uh, finally, the still would go. This the this really. Great photo that I that was sent to me. Um, this is a uh, a picture of of Sergei Bobrovsky um, in his pregame. Okay, so this and this is here. So here's it just in the stands um, in before a game that this is what Bobrovsky does in Columbus, and it, it's fascinating. I mean, I love I love this kind of stuff. I've always you know this is he has this meditation thing where he goes and sits in the in the stands of the arena yep. for like thirty minutes and just stares forward as if he's watching the game um ahead does of he have a so, giveaway towel in his hand what's in his hand i know i don't know what that is i'm trying to that's actually his glove is that his glove hold on let's see if i can zoom in on this yes that's his glove that's his glove. Oh, his glove okay yes he's got his glove like he's like waiting for a foul ball basically i can't um, what, i can't remember what goaltender it is but they showed an nhl goalie and for some reason i want to say holpy but i that he was doing some sort of eye exercise where he's going back and forth and back and forth mm -hmm. watching it yeah, hope he's got a bunch of them. Yeah, well, um, he was watching a tennis match, and it, it really freaked me out because, I mean, I, I know that some of these guys do, like, the ball thing against the wall. Oh, that's old. Ken Dryden did it, and then some guys did it after. I don't think they do that anymore. But the well, video he's got the whole drop, watching the water drop thing, which apparently is, you know, watching a – spraying the water bottle up there, watching it fall all the way to the ice, um, which also was done by um, uh, the um, the guy, the flyer. It's done by your kids in your backyard watching their rink. Connor Hart, yeah, that would happen too. Connor Hart also does that, though. Connor Hart is is also the same went has the same coach as um, as Holpe. So, yeah, that that's a big uh, that's a big focus thing. But it's, I love these kind of things when you see a player do this. 
Um, all right, that's all the time we have for today, guys. We will be back again tomorrow. Tomorrow is Thursday, and we will see you then. Remember, without the buzz, it is just hockey. Talk to you soon. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.